This is a recording of the Pivot event, which was recorded on September 29, 2022, at the Washington Cracker Building in downtown Spokane. The theme of this Pivot event was On the Road, and five members of the community were invited to tell their stories in line with that theme. The five storytellers you're about to hear are Elissa Ball, Michael Schneider, Stephanie Vigil, Nicholas Franco, and Samuel Schneider. The host is Jamie Stacy. Hello, Spokane. <laughs> Some of you remember me from the last time and I shared my story here. Uh-huh, raise your glass if you remember, raise your glass, yes. Um, my hair looks a little different. Some of you were like, I, I, I think I remember you. Yes, my hair, I had a hair story last time and I talked about that journey and um, yeah, my journey has continued and my hair looks different tonight. <laughs> I'm so glad that you all shared your stories. Um, on the road, I tried to channel my inner biker chick as much as... as much as I could. I tried to channel that, you know. Um, I've, had, I've been trying to channel a lot of stuff lately. Uh, last week, we had a spirit week at the school where I work. And um, a lot of people at the school would say that I am, like I have a reputation for how I show up to work every day, the way I dress. And, I, and I, I'm gonna come a certain way every day. And then we had Spirit Week. And I wanted to be a champion for our freshman class. And then they said, we're having Adam Sandler Day. And I began to scroll through uh, the internet and pictures of Adam Sandler and what his normal attire is. And I owned none of that. <laughs> However, I managed to get a pair of cargo khaki shorts from my husband, which came clear down um, past my knees, uh, and a white t-shirt, you know, one that he wears underneath his dress shirts um, that came clear down to my mid-thigh. And I managed to steal a flannel from my teenage son. So I put it all together, you know, and I walk into the school and my, my, my spirit is downcast. <laughs> because this is not how I like to show up. I am not Adam Sandler. And so I walk in the school and it's like, the kids are like, Mrs. Stacy, you, oh, you look great. Your outfit is so giving and then I'm like, Giving, giving, for some of you who may not understand that term, um, giving is, oh, it's giving me life, it's wonderful, it's amazing, oh, girl, your outfit, that's what giving means. I had on no makeup, no earrings, and I was giving that day. 
So I have decided that maybe I should dress like Adam Sandler at least once a month. So on the road, on the road, there's so many things that can happen when you're on the road. So many fun, fun things that can happen. I, if you have not captured it already, I'm not originally from Spokane. Clap once if you were born and raised in Spokane. Okay. Clap twice if you're a transplant into Spokane. Okay. So we have a lot of transplants here. So, so some of you that are transplants into this space, you know what it's like to be on the road. Right? 2,500 miles. Southeast Missouri is where I grew up. And um, I did not know that there was a such thing as a chain-up area. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh my God, we forgot our chains to link together our cars. <laughs> I had no idea. But some of you, in what you've shared, you're one-liners. If you were to tell an on-the-road story, what would the first line be? For me, my line would be, uh, welcome to the chain-up area. <laughs> but I have one here that says, looking up at the temple, admiring its beauty when a small hand slips into mine. Now, we can say all, but we, that, that could mean something else. <laughs> or uh, this right here. This, I think it almost needs to say, I walked into a bar. <laughs> but, but it says, a packed bus, a nun, and fully tattooed me, leaving Jerusalem. I can only imagine what they were there to see. And then we have one that says, left my mom's funeral 11 months after my dad's, and it was time to ponder my what's next. We've all kind of been there, like, what's next? I really felt like that when I came to Spokane, like, what's next? Where are the black people? <laughs> and, and then we have this, she's not going to make it through the night. Can you get here in time? We've all been there. And then of course this one, I was born in a car crash. And then, of course, we just have people who are on the road, even right now. There are a couple of men who are just on the road. Some people who were coming to this event tonight saw them and were like, 
hey, get in our car and come with us. We know you've been on the road, but come on over here and, and hear some more stories about being on the road. Where are you at in here? I know there's a couple of you that, that were riding motors. Get in the back. I see you. I see you. Welcome to Spokane. Welcome to Spokane. Now, as, as we prepare, um, one of the things we were, when we were going through Montana, <laughs> we're going through Montana and uh, there's a couple of cowboys that show up on their horses. And there are cows everywhere. Just, they're herding cows. They're herding cows. And I see, we see all these cars start to pull over. Everybody's pulling over, pulling over. And I'm like, they're cows. Guys, come on. Keep going. What do you mean? No, 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 no. And the cowboys are doing their cowboy thing. Ah, you, know, getting, you know, making sure the cows don't accidentally run into the cars, you know. And everyone's pulled over and they're just watching or whatever. And I'm looking at all these cows. This is a true story. I'm looking at all these cows. And then I see one that goes rogue. <laughs> and I knew something was wrong because his eye was kind of like, you know, and he's just not looking like the rest of his buddies, you know. And he, he's gone rogue. And, he's, and I'm in my car, right, this little Chevy Cavalier. You know, I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, come on, cowboy, don't you see this cow? I know you see it's getting too close to my car, man. Get the cow. And the cow just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And it gets so close to my car, and I just lock the door. <laughs> You're not getting in here. So I need you all to fasten your seat belts and enjoy the ride tonight as we welcome our first storyteller to the stage, Elissa Ball. years ago, around November, nighttime, I walk into a certain adult intimate health and wellness shop on North Division. <laughs> now, the, as soon as I walk in, the person at the front counter asks me for my ID. And I'm like, ID? And she's like, yeah, we've got to make sure you're over 18. <laughs> and I was like, I don't mean to sound gross, but I've been in plenty of adult shops and never have been carded, but whatever. So I dig around in my purse, unzip my wallet, to find my driver's license is not present. So I start to panic, and then I do a little replay, 
and I figure out what happened, try to explain to the young person in front of me, like, okay, you and I both know I'm, I'm over 18. Look at my eyes, there are crinkles. I've clearly read a lot of articles. There's stress. Now, the reason I don't have an ID to show you tonight is because last night I attended a rural queer dance party in Moscow, Idaho, and I needed to transfer um, my regular stuff into my smaller dance bag, but I forgot to transfer just like the chapstick and the ID back into my regular bag, which you see here. My little bag is at home. It's like a 40-minute round trip. But listen, there's something you have in this store that I desperately need. And to tell you the truth, it's not even for me. It's actually for my Nana. <laughs> Everything I told that retail shop employee was 100% true, and I will further explain to you. The previous night, I get my uh, 2001 Ford Taurus. It's, uh, it's clunky, it's scrappy. The two of us are running on fumes and fries. I work four jobs, I help care for my grandparents, I have a little dog, there's a lot going on. But I've taken two nights off, picking up my friend June and two of her friends, and we're gonna drive down the, what is that, 195? The Palouse Byways. And as soon as I get there, I'm late, never a good start. But whatever, I'm having grace. They pile in. We're four queers deep. We're heading south. <laughs> do we have at least half a tank of gas? No, we do not. That's a Pullman problem. That's a Moscow problem. We will deal with that in post. Also, has my car been making clunkety transmission noises? You bet. Transmission's already been rebuilt once. But we're going to get there. Now, as soon as we headed out, Something about the angle of the moon that night. Something about the hiss of the cold wind just felt like you're not going to have a good time. <laughs> so we glide into Moscow to a cafe that's been transformed into like a queer dance party night. Sorry, rural queer dance party. <laughs> now last season, the theme of the dance was Brokeback Mountain. It was awesome. There was like Wrangler snap shirts, bolo ties, there was Goodbye Earl, there was Shania, it was fun and flirty. Tonight's theme of the dance is goth. And you know, trust, I love gothness, I'm goth at heart. But it just felt off. There were too many like ironic crucifix jewelry pieces and overblown eyeliner and don't look at me, don't interact with me vibes. It wasn't just other people, okay? There's a picture of me in June um, standing at the dance. I'm standing about 17 inches away from her, like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be touching anyone. There was just this vibe in the air, like, now keep in mind it was November 2019. This sinister vibe, like, something awful is about to come to you. Something awful is about to happen to the world. And that was the general vibe. Um, the one good thing, the one little perk that happened that night is a non-binary cutie offered me a certain organic substance that grows in lawns overnight, has mind-altering properties, if you know what I mean. And I'm like, I'm already at this place I don't want to be at, even though I took the night off and got a dog sitter. Why not? I'm not driving home. So I eat this certain substance, we get in my car, we head back to Spokane, why none of us remembers to get gas, I will never know. 
But all four of us, the gas thought, it is gone like fumes in the wind. Uh, and it should feel good to let someone else drive your car. It should be a relaxing experience. But my friend June has a bit of a lead foot. So while she was driving rapidly, I started to notice new transmission noises and got alarmed. Around this alarm time is when the effects of the mind-altering substance kicked in and it just turned my body into a giant inhale, clench, full-body pucker with no release in sight. <laughs> it got even worse when I heard the next words out of June's mouth. She looked back and she said, oh, fuel, fuel light came on. So I was doing a lot of body language like this, like, all right, all right, racking my brain to remember how many miles we have and how many minutes that equals to actually on it once it hits E and then like until we're stuck on the side of the road and I put these four friends in this awful situation. Just when I'm about to crack a back molar, maybe three, I see the most spiritually moving, emotionally gratifying sight of my road trip life, and that is the bright, glittering lights of Spangle, Washington. <laughs> they have fuel. Do they have a human being running the gas mart? No, they don't. So we've got to rely on debit cards. If these debit cards don't work, we are even further out of luck. So I step out under that harsh moonlight that's like, told you you'd have a bad time and a sinister wind, and I put in my little debit card, and it works, and we get just enough gas to get us back to Spokane. Does the transmission give out three weeks later in front of Rogers High School? Yes, it does. <laughs> but it got us back to town that night, and the next night is where I now find myself at an adult shop, reasoning, begging with a young person behind the retail counter. Okay, I can explain. My grandma fell and broke multiple bones. It was really bad, she fell in the kitchen and she's now at Sacred Heart Hospital trying to heal those bones. What I need from you is some massage oil so I can go up there and work on the circulation in her legs and make sure she doesn't get bed sores. And I know that carding is really important, but I didn't want to say this, I'm also a writer. Technically, you could Google me and you could find I've written a story about how much I love strip clubs and how I wish Spokane had more strip clubs. And that logically proves that I'm over 18 if I was allowed in a strip club. Please, can you do this one thing for me tonight? And the person behind the counter took a beat and said, yeah, sure, come on back. So I went back there, and I'm also allergic to scents, so it was a, quite a find. I found a travel-sized bottle of lavender-infused hemp massage oil that I jetted up to Sacred Heart that very night, added it to the collection of personal care items I'd been bringing to my grandma. She and I are really close. She's in her 90s, but she is my best friend, which is why I'm the person who takes out the nail clippers and cares for her feet. And when I brought out the new oil, my Nana got this peaceful, serene smile on her face and she said, oh, it feels so good to be taken care of. I wait on everybody else my whole life. This is really nice. And as I was doing it, I thought of all the care that she had given me, the warm washcloths against the face, I had a Ziploc bag full of Q-tips. I 
wiped them in some shea butter and I put it on the inside of her nostrils because they were dried out from the oxygen tubes. And as I was doing these little acts for her, I would think about how she took care of me, how she took care of my mother, how she took care of hundreds of kindergartners in Hilliard throughout her career as a kindergarten teacher. There was a sign above her hospital bed that says, patient is hard of hearing. Also, we're Irish Catholic, so expressing, verbalizing your feelings is not really something that comes naturally to us. But with the boar bristle brush over her silver hair, I was able to convey with acts, I love you, thank you for everything you've done. <sighs> and around mid-December, she took a turn for the worse. She got an infection that's really contagious. It's called C. diff. So in the final days of her life, we couldn't touch her skin. We couldn't visit her without suiting up in a hazmat situation. So because of that, those final weeks, with the massage oil and the kit of nail files and all that, was a way where I was able to communicate with her and give just a fraction of what she had given in her 90 years. And it's why, because we couldn't touch her at the end, I was oh so grateful for the fact that I got to spend that time with her and super grateful for one retail staff at an adult intimate wellness and health shop on North Division who saw the look of desperation and love in my eyes and was willing that night to bend the rules. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, we've probably, we can't be too quick to judge, first of all. Um, I mean, we've, we've probably all been in questionable spaces, buying questionable things for our grandmothers. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking like, I used to be able to take a note to the corner store and hand it to the person. I, I'm not even old enough to read. Hand it to someone and they would give me top shelf liquor and cigarettes. <laughs> Elissa, imagine what you could have gotten out of that store if you had a note from your grandma. Just a note. Speaking of notes, I have some from you all. This one says, I was, I was in first grade when the school bus went off the road and rolled over. The kid in the, in the seat in front of me died. Who was driving that bus? It would be interesting to hear their story as well. It was my first car, a used station wagon from the family funeral business, and yes, 
it had rollers in the back for hauling caskets. <laughs> I wonder what your uh, girlfriend thought when you picked her up from prom. I bought the ambulance in 1993, and she was perfect. Ivy hooks for my houseplants, a gurney space for my motorcycle, and a PA system perfectly poised to mitigate road rage with gentle lullabies. <laughs> oh yeah, turn it up. <laughs> so, I think this is kind of all of ours, but this one-liner says, so, this one time in band camp, <laughs> who wants to finish that? Who, wa who wants to come up here and get this mic and finish that? <laughs> so, this one time in band camp, I mean, we, we all have amazing stories and adventures that happen on the road, but I bet some of the adventures experienced by our next storyteller mm, are some that we have yet to know. So put your hands together. Oh yeah, for Michael. I don't want to fall down during the middle of this, so. <coughs> Testing? Yeah. Okay. That's a preview of what I'm going to tell you. <coughs> One night in 1964, when I was 20, I'll let you do the math give you a few minutes. Uh, I found myself in downtown Portland late at night after another futile evening of trying to sell encyclopedias. <laughs> encyclopedias were these sets of books. <laughs> People bought them for their children uh, in the dark days before Google freed us from the tyranny of alphabetization. <laughs> anyway, there I am, downtown Portland, late at night, no bus, no bus is running, so I stick out my thumb. Immediately, a car screeches to a halt. Four plainclothes cops jump out, surround me, yelling in my face, asking me questions that make no sense whatsoever. And Finally, they leave, they give me a piece of paper, get back in their car, take off. I read the paper. It says, soliciting. Yeah, yeah, Snickers, you guys get that right away. <laughs> Not me. I think, well, yeah, I was soliciting a ride. 
But why such a generalization, you know? I mean, why can't they just write hitchhiking? <laughs> Stupid. And, and there's also a summons. This is overkill. This is ridiculous. Anyway, I answer the summons. I go to court. Everyone on the docket in front of me is a prostitute. <laughs> You'd think at that point I'd get it. No. I, uh, cultural obliviousness and cluelessness about how others see me have been lifelong blessings. Sometimes a curse. Anyway, but it's, it's fun sitting there listening to them banter with the judge. They're all, all obviously, you know, familiar with each other. And then it's my turn. I tell him my story, and he can tell I'm too stupid to lie. So he lets me go, and I leave. Still clueless. Years later, years I'm walking down the street, and I stop all of a sudden. Wow! Those nasty cops thought I was tricking. <laughs> trying, to, trying to sell sexual favors. Damn, I couldn't even sell encyclopedias. I don't know if those officers would have stopped if I, without the hand signal. Um, people who are hell-bent on looking for sin and evil are always going to find it, whether it's there or not. But um, sticking out my thumb was very natural to me. I'm a lifelong hitchhiker. But for COVID, I'd still be doing it. It's a way to meet people you would never otherwise meet in a situation that often leads to very rewarding, unguarded conversations, the kind you can only have with someone you'll never see again. Um, anyway, uh, I took my last trip in uh, 19, 2016. Uh, I flew to Knoxville, Tennessee, hit the road with my 10 cents a mile sign, literally 10 cents a mile sign, 10 cents slash mile, uh, which just confuses people. No one who wasn't absolutely destitute would hitchhike. They offer me money, sometimes food. Big, nasty burritos wrapped in cellophane from Walmart, you know. True. Anyway, so I spent the next 10 days with my 10 cents a mile sign going up through eastern Kentucky coal country, um, staying in the cheapest motels I could find. That's another story. Um, and uh, finally, flying home out of Cincinnati. 
I learned on that trip something I really hadn't known about coal miners. The ones I met, ex-coal miners, had actually loved that filthy and extremely dangerous job. They'd been part of a, a very special band, band of brothers. Anyway, where am I? Oh, yes, I'm telling a story, aren't I? Okay. Um, yeah, people, older people, who, uh, when they find out I still hitchhike, often say to me, well, I used to hitchhike, but gosh, it's just a lot more dangerous out there now. I tell them, bluntly, that they're wrong, that they've been, they've fallen victim to the vast American, vast American uh, fear industry, that it's actually a lot safer out there because there used to be a lot more drunks on the road decades ago and they're the ones who picked you up. <laughs> Only once did I ever say, please let me out. <laughs> Once out of many, I, I wasn't a master of good choices, but um, here I am, still alive. Okay. Um, let's skip to 2002, 38 years after my uh, appearance in court for prostitution. Uh, my wife Betsy and I are living in Central Oregon, halfway between Bend and Sisters, and I become obsessed with the wastefulness, the incredible stupidity, absurdity of our transportation system. Thousands of cars on the road, most of them with a single occupant, isolated, encapsulated, constantly on the move between Bend and Sisters and Redmond and Madras and Prineville, Sound River. I did a little arithmetic. Curb weight divided by curb weight plus my 150 pounds. When I'm on the road in my compact car, 96% of the energy I'm consuming is just pushing my chair and four empty ones. This is nuts. So I come up with an ingenious plan, brilliant. I give it a name, I call it, it's a, a plan to you know fill some of those ubiquitous empty seats. I call it the Central Oregon Writers Club, CORK for short, catchy. Catchy acronym there. It's very, very simple. People will go to, uh, well, they'll get a background check, then they'll get issued two ID cards, one for riding and one for driving. Women, if they so choose, can get one color-coded to indicate that they only ride with other women. And then they can stand anywhere. And another cork member will give them a lift. 
I worked at it a bit. I put out some petition sort of things, sign-ups. Will you do this? Would you be interested? At the three or four businesses that were willing to let me leave them on a counter. I approached the police for help with the background checks. That was a dead end. Um, but then I discovered that um, Bend already had an organization called Commute Options. Perfect. They'd been in business for a decade and hadn't accomplished diddly, but they, you know, hadn't had the benefit of my brilliance. <laughs> so I arranged to speak to their board. Six of Ben's staunchest and most respected citizens. I told them the basic plan. I fleshed it out with a folding brochure that had a picture on the front of a young woman holding up her cork card. And uh, inside there was a philosophy statement, rules for riders and drivers, even pictures of my 84-year-old neighbor giving hand signals to prospective riders. Um, I tried to tap into their empathy a little bit, not very successfully. I, I explained to them that there were probably hundreds of young families all over Deschutes County who were working an extra low-wage job just to keep two cars on the road. And then I said, you know, look, it's a triple win. It's good environmentally, it's good economically for those who are stressed, and most of all, it's good socially, bringing together people of diverse backgrounds in one-on-one -on -one situations. I finished, I looked at them, six utterly blank faces, total silence. Finally, one of them said, what do you want from us? So, a little help. Uh, you guys, uh, have the connections, you guys got the power, help me with this. Nothing, more silence. Then I said, well, at the least, you know, I'd like your endorsement of the idea. Nothing. How could I have been so stupid? My idea looked like hitchhiking. Why did I imagine that any of these people would attach their respected names to that? I thanked them for their time. I wish I hadn't. <laughs> I pretty much gave up after that. I do own the domain, the domain name howdyhopin.org. <laughs> I'll sell it for a buck fifty to a qualified buyer. The dread fear of hitchhikers can sometimes be a little funny. 
musing. In 2013 in northern Kansas, a woman parked safely away from me and called up, you won't hurt us, will you? How do you answer that? Uh, hadn't planned on it. Um, <laughs> it's not my strong suit. Uh, give me a ride and I'll think about it. I don't know. Uh, but uh, the highway was up high and she was down the embankment and I walked down as non-threateningly as I could and we talked. She gave me a nice long ride. And her sullen teenage daughter was scowling the whole time, demonstrating her disapproval. Um, it was the last ride of the day, and I wanted to take the woman and her family to dinner, but I don't think she wanted her husband to know about her risky behavior. Um, anyway... Contrast that with Decorah, Illinois. Yeah. You did, yeah. It's a Lutheran college there. Is that where you went now? Um, anyway, Decorah, Illinois, a woman in a big old Chevy Suburban pulls over, and I get in. I mean, there's, there's another woman up front, so I sit behind them next to a, an adorable three-year-old girl. There are three very noisy little boys in the way back. So here's the car talk puzzler. Why did a woman with a carload full of kids in Iowa, one of the more difficult states for a hitchhiker, why did she stop for me? You guys don't know. Because she wasn't from Iowa. <laughs> she was from Mexico. When she saw my sign, she knew exactly what it meant. That's what they do in rural Mexico. Stop for strangers, and the strangers give them what little they can afford for fuel. Sometimes whole families pile into the back of a pickup truck. That's something we used to be able to do here. Not anymore. It's too dangerous. <laughs> On September 12, 2001, the day after we all watched the towers collapse, Betsy was in town working at a bookstore. And I wanted to go to town and didn't want two cars in town. So I walked a mile to US, Highway US 20 and um, stuck out my thumb. And, you know, a wannabe cowboy in a brand new pickup truck with a gun rack seemed to clench the wheel a little tighter and look straight ahead pretending he couldn't see me. Bunch of cars passed a few Jeep Grand Cherokees, they never stop. 
ever. You can trust me on that. Finally, a woman in a beat-up old Datsun stopped, 30-something. She asked me why I was hitchhiking, and I told her about Betsy being in town already. And then I said, I told her, it's also my way of fighting fear in America. And she said, that's why I stopped. Thank you. Do you like the hat? It helps get me rides with women. They tell me that. People stop and stare. I can't see their faces. Only the shadows of their eyes. I'm going wow, Michael. I was just about to say. Sitting back there, I'm thinking to myself, if I saw you standing on the side of the road wearing that hat, I would pick you up. <laughs> it's the hat. Always wear the hat. Even the Jeep Grand Cherokees will stop for that. So, so some of you are, are amazing in, in what you shared about your, what would your first line be on your, in your story? That's why you have to show up October 27th, because your name may be drawn. You might get to, sh I'm just saying. Um, here's one that says, the radio was as loud as it could be. The windows down and my hair flying around in a mess. That sounds like a lot of fun. And almost like me on Monday. Um, I don't know if this is about being on the road or if this is just um, uh, a lot of women that I know. It says, my God, it's hot in here. I like this one. Is it possible that that small wooden plaque nailed to the wall outside the crab cooker in Newport Beach could contain the secret to the universe? As a 17-year-old standing alone in the rain, I thought so. You believe anything when you're 17, right? <laughs> Here's one. It was one of the worst poop sprays I've ever smelt. <laughs> or your kid in the back seat. How many of you have ever traveled with children? 
on the road with children, it makes everything different. Everything is different. Everything is difficult. A simple drink of water turns into a fountain. Everything is difficult. It doesn't matter. And everything needs to happen right now. Right now. I'm hungry. Right now. I'm thirsty. Right now. I pooped. Right now. Everything. Doesn't matter what it is. But children, children, can, children can be fun to travel with. But the worst part, I think, of, of traveling with children is when they want to play their songs. And they're not your songs that you like to listen to because your songs have all the words that you've told them not to say in them. <laughs> and so you have to, baby shark, do 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 do, baby shark, do 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 do, baby shark, do 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 do, baby shark. Mama shark, do 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 do, mama, for miles and miles and miles on the road. Now, my son was a Wiggles fan. How many of you remember the Wiggles? It's the Wiggles, the Wiggles. Yeah. And we, we, we had it. Oh, oh, who said it? What is it? Yummy, yummy. Fruit salad. Yummy, yummy. Okay, see, that's a... Bad road trip right there. That's a sign. And then, of course, you know, they, they like all the ones with action in them where it's like, everybody clap. Everybody sing. Oh. I have found my people. But they want, they want you to do all the ones with action, you know, and you're trying to drive, and they're like, Mom, you're not, you're not, cla Mom, you're not cla clapping on the part. Mom, you're not. And I'm like, I'm driving. I'm, I, I, I can't clap. So they're like, everybody clap. And I'm like, everybody sing. <laughs> yes. And then the next line says, Bow to your partner. Mom, you're not bowing. Mom, you didn't bow to me. Mom, I need you to bow to your partner. I'm your partner, Mom. Bow. I can't. I'm driving. And then you turn around. By that, by that point, you're like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not... We're, Next, next song. And then it's move like an emu Mom, you're not moving like an emu. Never mind. So, in the dark, pre-dawn morning of a family road trip, my six-year-old self got skunked while outside feeding the dog. And someone still had to travel with that kid. <laughs> I 
I'm telling you, there is nothing like being able to share stories that have happened on the road. Nothing like it. And you get to see things that you never thought you'd see before. Things like giant dog statues. Like, why, why is there a giant dog in the middle of that farmland? What does it represent? What does it stand for? Is it their king? But you get to see all of these things and you get to see what the perception of others through their, through their eyes and how, how the road, it actually can change you. Now, our next storyteller has been telling stories for a long time. But tonight, these are her words. Put your hands together for our next storyteller, Miss Stephanie Vigil. So great to be here. Wow, you guys are fantastic. Give it up for the last two speakers. They were amazing. I do tell other people's stories, but I'm going to tell you mine right now. I can vividly remember the wheels of the train coming to a screeching stop. The light in my couchette turns on, and the conductor's voice comes over the loudspeaker. And in a language I cannot understand and don't know, the only word I make out is Berlin. And that is when I knew I had reached my destination. The year was 1990, and I had just graduated from college. And I was so excited to see history in the making. I sat up gathered my thoughts, grabbed my backpack, and jumped off that train. I didn't know where I was going, but I followed the crowd, and there was a very big crowd. It was a dark and gloomy day, and I just kept walking, walking and walking, until I saw that image that I've seen on television so many times, Checkpoint Charlie. I took out my very first student loan. It was $3,000 for three months of backpacking in Europe. That is money well spent. Every $50 I gave them a month for 10 years was worth it. It was such an amazing journey. I remember that I was walking over rubble and broken glass and through what remained Checkpoint Charlie. I got into East Berlin where communism held its people back for nearly 30 years. And I met the most amazing people, 
You do. You meet a lot of amazing people on your travels. I met a woman by the name of Sam. Sam was so cool. She was there to uh, document the reunification of Berlin, of Germany. I had learned so many things. I had learned that many older East Berliners didn't want the wall to come down. They actually were so content with where they were that they were afraid. And as you can imagine, 30 years, all you know is living in communism and now the new world's coming in to take over. And it was right then, right then that I realized I'm not a business major. Do I look like an accountant? No. I was going to be a journalist. The path, the direction of my life right then had changed. And I was forever grateful that I had taken that trip. It was such a moving moment in my life that changed the trajectory of who I am and what I became. For the past 25 years, I've been at KHQ Television as an anchor and a reporter. And I have loved every minute of it. Being a member of this community gives me such love in my heart. I absolutely love being here. I love telling stories. Of course, I love telling the good stories, the ones where the Gonzaga Bulldogs make it to the Final Four and I get to go on the road. And now I'm just waiting for the championship before I retire. I really want them to win the championship, maybe this year. The Seahawks went to the Super Bowl. I got to go to the Super Bowl. Great assignments. I love meeting people who have wonderful stories, telling their stories. And of course, there are some unsavory characters that oftentimes will make the news. Unfortunately, too many times they make the news. 25 years doing the same thing. And I've never taken as much time off as I did when I had graduated for three months, that's a, a long time. Now I take about two weeks off, and I've been back to Europe a couple of times. One time I went, same backpack, boyfriend, now husband. We went into Paris, went to Chamonix, went up and over the highest Alp, Mont Blanc, and down into Italy. And I did hitchhike, by the way. Yes, I did. I always wanted to hitchhike, but you're right, the fear of hitchhiking in America, ugh, I couldn't do it. So I hitchhiked there on that trip, uh, went into Cinque Terre, Italy. Heather, who is in the crowd here right now, she suggested this route, and it was phenomenal. We get there, and Cinque Terre was super popular, so all the hotels were um, taken up. So my husband and I, we'd flip a coin. We're either going to go find a hotel room, or we're going to party with the locals party with the locals one. And so that's what we did. So I slept with my backpack and my fiance, because we got engaged in Venice on that trip. Um, we ended up sleeping on a rock right near the Mediterranean Sea, right underneath a church bell that went off at six in the morning. Not too cool when you're drunk. <laughs> That backpack was awesome. So awesome that when my son graduated from college, I said, you know what, as a gift, you're going to Europe. He went into Norway, England, Italy, up to Spain, and over to France. If that backpack could talk, I can only imagine what it would say. Well, years later, my youngest son graduated from college, or actually he was on um, a study abroad, and he went over to Rome, 
And unfortunately, when he was there, the pandemic hit. And he was on spring break in Portugal, couldn't get back to Rome, to his dorm, so he had to fly home from Portugal and all of his belongings stayed in his dorm room in Rome, Italy. A couple months later, that backpack made it back, so it is in the attic collecting dust right now. Anyway, such great, great memories of us with that backpack and being on the road. But 33 years later, as I fast forward my life, and I start thinking about not being able to have that time off. Um, one of the things, as great as it is to uh, be a journalist and to have a television career as long as I have, um, it, the unfortunate part is oftentimes you don't get time with your family. It's not conducive to family lifestyle. It's definitely not a nine to five job. I was either getting up at 3 a.m. in the morning to do a morning show, which kept me tired all day long and into the weekend, or I was doing the five and six, 10 and 11. So when I was going to work, my sons were coming home from school and I would probably average about an hour to an hour and a half a day with them, which I'm not proud of at all. I was uh, doing the single mom thing. So not only that, but when it wasn't my week, I didn't get to see them on the weekends. A lot of regret there. Definitely. I mean, if I have to look back on my life, that would be the biggest regret is that when my kids had an after-school game, I couldn't be there. When they had something that they were doing, typically, if it involved, um, if it happened after 3 o'clock, I couldn't be there. So just recently, I went to my news director, and I told her I'm really having a lot of regret. Like, I don't want to look in the rearview mirror and see, you know, that. that th these are my sons. I love them so dearly. Um, I think I need a sabbatical. And just coincidentally, after she said yes, I asked for three months off, at, thinking I'm going to get two. And she said, you want three? Take it. Tonight, when I get home, I'm packing my car up. I'm, I am packing my car. I will be off the air for three months. And I'm heading to San Diego where my sons work and live. Thank you. They're 20 years old right now, or in their 20s, I should say. They're not married. They have no children. And that's when I realized, like, oh, my gosh, we are going to have so much fun. We're, we're going to go to concerts and ball games and sit on the beach, watch the sunset on so many beaches in Southern California. Like, I cannot wait. We're all foodies. My one son's going to teach me how to use a drone, and we're going to do some great photography, have Sunday meals. I mean, yes, I do think you can make up for lost time. It's the perfect time to do it. They're so excited, and I'm excited as well. But going back to my, me, you know, my soul, what got me started, how I feel so alive when I travel, the food tastes better, the people are so amazing. It's just been nothing but joy when I'm on the road. And I always seem to run into good luck, which is a really good thing. But uh, I'm, I'm gonna buy a new backpack. I'm gonna buy a new backpack. And I'm going to go to some place that I've never been before. I'm grabbing a ticket to Thailand and Vietnam. 
And I'm thinking the food, number one, is going to be amazing. But the first thing I'm going to do there is sit in complete silence and meditate for two days with monks. I'm going to feed my soul. And I love the gentleman that was up here earlier talked about fear, you know. And, and I will tell you, I work on the news. I don't like how fearful people are about traveling, life, being afraid to go outside of their home. They're going to catch something. It's not like that. You got to get outside of your head. And when you do get outside of your head and you start to realize that this is not as dangerous of a world as we're making it out to be. And that might be the one thing that really bothers me the most about um, news, uh, social media. You know, there's a big fear factor there. And so when I'm on my solo journey to Vietnam and Thailand, I cannot wait to canoe in these caves in Vietnam that look absolutely amazing. I got certified in college to scuba dive, and I am so looking forward to scuba diving while I'm there a couple of times. I even bought myself a one, one ticket to Maroon 5 because I thought it would be so cool to see an American band overseas, so I'm going to see Maroon 5 by myself. Well, not really. You're never really alone when you're traveling. But anyway, like I mentioned before, you know, I do not want to look back in the rearview mirror and miss out on so many things in my life or live with regret. I think that when I'm on the road, I'm a better human being. I'm going to come back here in January, and I know I'll be a different person with so many different stories to tell. I'm going to get myself a ticket to, or, or tomorrow I'm going to be heading out in my car and then my tickets to a foreign country. But if you ever get a chance and an opportunity, hit the road. There's no place like it and you'll never be the same. Thank you. We wish the very best for you in your journey. Of course, when she said that, the first thing that came to my mind was, hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more. No, but I, we want you to come. We want you to come back. We're going to take an intermission, and we have two more storytellers after this brief intermission. So stick around, stick around, stick around. There are more good things to be heard. You're listening to a Pivot event that was recorded live on September 29th, 2022. The theme is on the road. The five storytellers are Elissa Ball, Michael Schneider, Stephanie Vigil, Nicholas Franco, and Samuel Schneider. The host is Jamie Stacy. We're going to go ahead and shift into our next storytellers. How many of you are enjoying this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You may be enjoying it as much as um, after breaking up with my boyfriend in a huff, I grabbed my pink suitcase, huffed it down the highway 
away from Boulder and got a ride in a peach truck to Denver. Hmm. A peach truck to Denver? I could say maybe an apple truck would be okay, but a peach truck? Uh, El Paso in the winter hosted many firsts for me. Starch BDUs, I think that's what that says, BDUs. Snowboard video games, two-stepping, and the darkness of Juarez at night. We'd like to finish that, but we'd really like to finish hearing from our pivot storytellers. And that's why we want to welcome to the stage right now, Nick. Where you at, Nick? Put your hands together for Nick. It's bright up here. So in Mexico City, there's a saying among the locals that if you can drive in Mexico City, you can drive anywhere in the world. And my taxi cab from the Mexico City airport to my hostel absolutely demonstrated that. Lane lines were just suggestions, blinkers were cute little accessories, and pedestrians did not in fact have the right of way. And so as I get out of the ho- uh, my taxi cab in front of my hostel and I start to unclench and the blood comes back to my hands and to my face, I think to myself, well, I'm glad I got the most stressful part of the trip out of the way. And that was a lie, as it turns out. Um, and of course it would have been a lie. I had never traveled outside the United States before then. Um, I had never... Tra- uh, Excuse me, I, had, uh, I thought I had a mastery of the Spanish language and did not. Um, and I was traveling by myself, the perfect recipe for a perfect trip. Um, but I was trying to go, I was trying to go, I wanted to go to Mexico City because I was trying to get in touch with my roots, I was feeling lost, I was in this doctoral program spending all this money, um, not knowing what I needed to do. And I you know, had uh, met a couple times with my abuelita, And I was like, okay, I I feel like I need to go to Mexico City. It's calling me. I'm going to discover myself, and it's going to be this great spiritual trip, and blah, 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 blah. Um, And so what actually was like the defining piece of the entire trip were were the number of times that I ugly cried. And I don't know, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, for those of you who don't know what ugly crying is or looks like, um, are people familiar with Kim Kardashian? Yes. Yes. So for those of you who have not seen the meme or the gif, highly encourage you to look it up. So ugly crying is where your eyes are swollen and they're very narrow. You have like a really big, like exaggerated frown. You might be making some weird noises. Okay. So the first time I ugly cried was the first full day after I arrived. I was going to uh, find some street tacos for lunch, and I was so proud of myself because I was able to order and understand everything um, without, any, without much difficulty. So I plop myself down uh, next to this park on the sidewalk, and I take my first bite, 
and I'm overwhelmed first by how awesome the food tasted. So good, um, so lovely, followed by more overwhelmingly um, the spice level. <laughs> now, now I, li I was living in San Diego at the time, I was living there for seven years, and I thought I was so clever because when you order green sauce, salsa verde, it's not as spicy as red sauce. So I thought, oh, I'll be fine. It was not fine. <laughs> because the default spice level in Mexico City is just a little bit different than in San Diego. So there I am on the sidewalk, enjoying the flavors, but ugly crying as like, two years of sinus blockage comes out of my nose. But I was determined to finish eating it, so I'm sure some of that snot ended up like in my mouth. So that was cool. Felt really proud about that. And then there was the um, next day uh, where I ugly cried again, and that's because I got caught in what I deemed the Bermuda Triangle from hell. So I was determined to go to La Casa Azul, and for those of you who don't know, that is Frida Kahlo's house, which is now a museum. Highly encourage you to go. Uh, so I get, exit the metro, and before I did, I was like, okay, let me, um, I thought, again, I thought it was really clever, let me, while I have Wi-Fi access, screenshot on my phone a map of the area, so that way when I don't have cell service or Wi-Fi access, I know how to navigate and I'll have a good time. So I blame Apple Maps. Um, yes, Apple Maps. Uh, because when I exited the metro, I... I, I firmly believe that Apple Maps misidentified one of the street names because I, and I'm not even exaggerating, walked in the same triangle <laughs> for like an hour. And the first 30 minutes I was like, oh, you know how you like, like not wanting to ask for directions, like no, 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 I can do this. This is gonna be fine. I know what I'm doing. I'm too good to ask for help. I don't need that. It's gonna be great. And then after, after the 30 minute mark is then when I started ugly crying because I, then I'm like, I don't even know how to get to the metro station anymore. <laughs> like I, I'm not, I've given, I had given up on the uh, La Casa Azul, it's not happening. Let me get back to the metro. I don't even know how to get back to the metro. And I don't actually know how I navigated my way back. I'm pretty sure there was some like poor onlooker who was like, this person needs to go. <laughs> like they've been circling the block. Like are we like, it's like a terrorist attack or something, I don't know. Um, so after two more, ugly day, two more days of ugly crying in my hostel, um, I was like so defeated. There were so many other follies um, that are too, too many to mention here. Uh, but uh, the day before I was supposed, two days before I was supposed to leave, I called my parents crying and my mom, yeah, I know, but they're used to it. So they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like par for the course, cool. And so I'm like explaining how like, this is difficult and why am I here? And I'm like, bleh, 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 bleh. so my mom at the, very patient, um, at the end, toward the end of the conversation, she said, well, sweetie, it sounds like you need to put on your big girl pants. <laughs> um, if you don't know what that means, 
in the Franco family, that means you need to suck it up, buttercup, and you need to get over yourself. And of course she was right. And I think I was so overwhelmed and so like exhausted from all the crying that I had done that I was like, you know what? She's right. Challenge accepted. I'm doing that. Yeah. And then um, I get an email notification on my phone. And the email notification is from OKCupid. It was 2013. <laughs> OKCupid was a thing. It was very safe. Not successful, but it's fine. So OKCupid sends me a notification that someone in Mexico City liked my profile. And I'm like, okay, first of all, I need to adjust my privacy settings. <laughs> because I haven't even logged into OKCupid, so how does it know that I'm here? And I'm like, and you know, he, and of course the picture, like they send, show you a little picture of the profile, of the person from the uh, person's profile. And I was like, well, he's cute, so like, I guess I can check it out while I update my privacy settings. <laughs> yeah. And so I do so, I update my privacy settings, A number one, A number two, look at his profile, look at his pictures, very handsome, very artsy, and very much my type. So I'm like, well, I mean, I'll just like him back, because we're not going to meet up. We're not even going to be able to talk to each other, so it won't even matter. So I send a like back, which of course notifies him, and then 10 minutes later, he sends me a message in English. And I was like, oh, how are you? <laughs> and then within the span of 30 minutes, I now have a date in a city I've never been to before by myself without knowing the Spanish language very well. Um, in the gay district, which I believe is La Casa, or um, La Casa Azul, La Zona Rosa, um, with this total stranger on a Friday the 13th. <laughs> Destined for greatness. So I get, I exit the metro, it's Friday the 13th, we're meeting at 7 p.m., I'm notoriously late, and I was refusing to allow that to happen to, uh, that night. I get out, get out of the metro, and I'm like, it is a sea of people. It looks like if you've ever been to like a Pride festival in a big metro area, it's like, you're not getting anywhere. And I'm like, is it Pride? It's December. Like, why are people here? Um, so I find myself going up to the restaurant, and as I'm walking up the stairs, he is already walking out of the restaurant and walking toward me, which is odd because where he was, he has already sat down, and where our table was, you can't see the front of the restaurant. And you know, for, all, for those of you who have not had the pleasure of meeting someone for the first time in person from online, there is usually this like awkward dance, right? Like, is that, are you the, looking at your phone, are you, oh, okay, oh, uh, uh, do I shake a, do you offer a handshake? Do you do you like a side hug? Like, what do you do? Um, but Salvador, Salvador is his name, uh, 
instantly and without hesitation knew it was me and gave me a hug. And hugs, socially, right, there's this like socially acceptable time to give a hug, and he held it for just like a few seconds longer. And it was in those extra few seconds where I absolutely melted. So we go inside the restaurant, um, and everything with him was just easy. It was easy to find things to talk about. It was easy to share food. I'd had grasshoppers for the first time. That was pretty cool. Um, and it was easy to be really vulnerable with him. And so after about two hours, he's like, hey, let's go to one of my favorite bars. I'm like, sure. So we exit the restaurant, and now there are no people out, out front. I'm like, uh, isn't it like 9 or 10? Like, where are your people at? This is a Friday night in Mexico City. Seems kind of boring to me. And he's like, well, it's after midnight. I'm like, what are you talking about? We were only in that restaurant for two hours. We were in that restaurant for five hours. <laughs> five hours. Did not feel like it at all. So after we uh, visit uh, or have a drink at his uh, favorite bar, uh, he then asks if I want to go back to his place. Easy yes. <laughs> we, I know. We, <laughs> we take a taxi. You remember taxis. Um, except now that it's late at night and there's no other cars on the road, less scary. So we get to the, we taxi, uh, the taxi's dropping us off. I exit the taxi and I look across the way and I'm like, that looks familiar to me. And I do that thing and maybe you do it too where you're like, oh, is this deja vu? Have I lived, this is a previous life? And I was like, okay, stop what you're doing. This is not a previous life. You have never been here before. Just move on. So then I turn around, he takes my hand, and now we're walking to his apartment building, and I'm like, okay, I've definitely seen that fucking building before. <laughs> and that's because that was in the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> I had circled that fucking intersection for an hour. So we um, go upstairs and do things that adults do. And he, uh, the next morning, by the grace of goddess, I remembered to set an alarm for 6 a.m. because I needed to be at the airport at 8 a.m. I got maybe an hour and a half of sleep. I'm rushing downstairs. He pays for my taxi to not only pick me up at my hostel, but take me to the airport. Uh, yes. Um, and on the way to the airport, I, surprising no one here, start ugly crying. But again, but, not, but again, taxis, now it's the daytime, now it's like traffic-y, I'm still drunk, I'm kind of nauseous, I'm like, okay, this makes sense though, this makes sense, ugly crying makes sense right now. And then I land in San Diego, and now I know people in San Diego, so people might see me, and I'm like, okay, I'm not, so I wasn't ugly crying, I was like controlling it, but I was still crying, and I was like, what the fuck am I crying about now? What, left, what else is there left to cry about? And the reason I was crying is because I'd fallen in love. And I wish that story this story had a happy ending, uh, because after I professed my love on Facebook, I then um, ghosted him. 
And it really summed up for me, 2013 um, was the year that I really wanted to make a t-shirt that said, hashtag hard to love. <laughs> and um, go seeing, uh, at the time, the person you had fallen in love with uh, in Mexico City that you'll never see again is definitely something that uh, would make you hard to love. But thank you. Nick, you are not hard to love. And neither is our next storyteller. Our final storyteller for the evening. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We've heard from Michael. And now we welcome to the stage, put your hands together for our friend, Sam. So it's funny the things you learn about your parents at these things. One, I didn't know that he did this as a babe magnet my entire life. And I'm like 52, he tells me now. And uh, the other is I didn't know till our rehearsal that he had been picked up for prostitution. It seems like I should have known that. So I just want to thank all of you for coming and staying. I just love Pivot so much, so thank you all. Um, so uh, it's 1995, and I am driving my beautiful brown and tan Volkswagen Vanagon north on I-5 from Federal Way to Seattle. I have a job. I'm a part-time gymnastics coach in Federal Way, and I'm driving home after work. And, uh, and uh, I'm about 10 miles south of, of Seattle, driving in the right-hand lane because, you know, the 1983 Volkswagen van only does 65 with a strong tailwind. So right-hand lane. And this car pulls up sort of alongside me as I'm driving, and it starts signaling me. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know this person. Signaling me. So I look, and, and the, car, the driver goes, what? He says, and so I look around and I look in the rearview mirror and there's black billowing smoke just coming out of the back. And sure enough, my car is on fire. And so, and so I've got, I've got to do something, right? So before I, so I'm going to stop here and, and give you a little background before we continue. Um, in, in, 1993, I graduated from Oberlin College with a degree in religion. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and so uh, my best friend at the time was a theater major, and um, he actually had, had majored in circus arts. And so between the two of us, we, uh, we actually started a circus at Oberlin College for college credit, mind you. Uh, and so when we graduated, me with my religion degree and no intention, I was a militant atheist, I had no intention of pursuing that, and, and him with his theater degree, with a honors degree in theater art, or circus arts, we really had no marketable skills between us. And so my parents graciously gave me the Volkswagen van so that we could then take our only skill, which was juggling, and, and travel around the country. 
So they gave me the Volkswagen. I ripped out the inside. I put a bed in there. I put a small kitchen in there, and we loaded it up. You could get a six-foot unicycle, a regular unicycle, a steamer trunk with juggling clubs and torches and machetes and, and fuel, all the things you need for a good street act, and we hit the road. And we lived out of this thing, traveling around the country for about a year, and there are lots of road stories, but that's not what I'm telling you tonight. You have to come to another pivot for those stories. Um, so we eventually ended up in Seattle where we started our own little circus called the Plum Loco Circus. Uh, and believe it or not, it can be hard to make a living as a circus performer. And so I had another job coaching gymnastics in Federal Way, which had the added benefit of like, it's a big gymnasium, right? So I could practice there. So I was down there teaching in the afternoon. It's like late afternoon when I'm heading back, but I've got a bunch of my juggling stuff in the van with me as I'm driving home in the burning Volkswagen. So back to the story. My car's on fire. I see black billowing smoke coming out of the back and I'm a responsible driver, so I pull over. And uh, I run to the back, because the engine in a Volkswagen is in the back, and, you, and I pop open the little trunk, and <laughs> flames just coming, flames jetting out of the back of this beautiful vehicle. And I'm like, oh, okay, what do I do? I actually was prepared. I ran to the side of my vehicle, I opened the sliding door, and I scramble around, and I get the little red fire extinguisher that I had stolen from my dorm room a couple years previously. <laughs> And I run back and I pull the pin out and, and nothing, nothing comes out because I was not the first one to steal this fire extinguisher, right? Okay, so the fire is just, I'm standing there and the fire is blowing and the cars are slowly driving by and fortunately this guy in like a medium-sized delivery truck pulls up behind me, a white delivery truck, and he hops out and he's like total Seattle guy, he's like kind of squat with flannel and he grabs this huge fire extinguisher. It's this huge red fire extinguisher, like the kind you'd see in a cartoon from the 70s, like red with a big splayed black hose and he comes over and he's like... <laughs> just covers the back, including us, with this white powder, and it puts the fire out, right? The fire's out. And that should be the end of this story. But it's not. So, in the 80s, the, the geniuses at Volkswagen, before they were cheating on emission standards, <laughs> they were finding ways to make lighter engines. And so they made this engine out of a magnesium alloy. Right, some of you know what that means. So magnesium has many properties. It will do lots of things. Um, it'll make you, you can, it, well, it most commonly used to make people poop. But you can also, you can also, if you want something to burn forever, you use magnesium. Like if you want to do welding in the ocean underwater, you use a magnesium flare. It's not going out. So when the Volkswagen magnesium block engine lights on fire, some silly little fire extinguisher is not going to make this stop. But we didn't know that at the time. So we're standing there, and the fire comes back on, and we're looking at each other, and we're like, what are we going to do? I'm like, do you have another fire extinguisher? And I said, no. So we're watching, and, and the flames just keep getting bitter. They, they, they're yellow, and then they're blue, and now they're white hot. Like, it is white hot coming out of the back of this van, and we're backing up. And, and as I watch it, I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be really expensive. Like, what are we going to do? We'd, we'd actually just put some money into it, 
to, we didn't have a lot of money, so we put some money into it. And Mechanic did say something about the fuel line. Fuel line. <laughs> we chose not to fix that. Uh, so it's burning, and it's on the side of the road, and it's parked sort of pointing uphill a little bit, just a little gradual grade. It's in the rain gutter. It's not raining in Seattle for once, so pointing here. And, and as we're watching it burn, it, it just, the flames start getting bigger and bigger, and then we hear, and the left tire blows, left rear tire blows. Okay, and we're still watching some more, and the right tire blows, okay? And then I'm like, we're watching it and, and backing up, and all of a sudden, just the windows shatter inward. They go, and all the windows shatter into the vehicle because of like some weird pressure thing from all the heat from this thing. They shatter inside, and we're both like, holy crap, like, what's gonna happen next? Well, two things happen next. <laughs> like I said, it's pointed uphill a little bit. The car starts to move. <laughs> Satan had taken the wheel and was like, this is not a good spot for me. I wanna, I wanna go up there. So he's, the car's moving uphill on the side of I-5. And, and the guy next to me is like, did you take the, the keys out? And I'm, I'm like, jingle, jingle, jingle. Like, I, I have the keys. And, and so the car's driving uphill, and we're like, ah, crossing ourselves. And, um, and then I had just filled up the tank. Yeah, some of you know where this is going. We hear another, and this little tiny thing flies off the side of the car off into the woods, followed immediately by a jet of flame, like platoon-style flamethrower, just as the Satan wagon goes uphill, lighting the woods on fire all along the side of I-5. So we got a burning van, burning woods, and traffic is like backed up to Tacoma. Like, this is, right? And so, it's not easy to get an emergency vehicle through traffic that's backed up to Tacoma, so we stand there and watch it burn and watch it burn. Finally, the fire trucks arrive and, and they put it out, and you know, it's, this should be the end of the story, right? So the fire trucks leave, and it lights on fire again. <laughs> it's on fire again. But it waited just long enough so that the fire trucks couldn't back up. They had to go around and come back through the traffic, which is now backed up to Olympia. I actually heard it was backed up to Olympia, which seems not possible to me, but it was, yeah, it was bad. So they come again, and at this point, like there are news vans there, and there are helicopters flying, and, and the policeman was so impressed that he actually took a Polaroid, and I have it, and every now and again, every now and again, I look at this because I don't believe my own apocrypha sometimes. So you can actually see this on the Pivot website, uh, Facebook site afterwards if you want to see what a magnesium block will do to your Volkswagen. Okay, so it lights up again. The fire trucks come again. They put it out the second time. And I wait for the tow truck to come. And the tow truck comes and and hauls it and me away to the nearest wrecking station. 
and we go there and I have to pay, as I recall, it was $300 I had to pay for this burnt out husk. Um, I had to pay for that. They gave me a dollar for the title for the vehicle. And then they gave me 30 pity dollars for the front left tire because that was the only thing left. I'm like, right? So uh, they gave me cash because I was like, I need to take a bus home. Could you give me cash? And now, now it's pouring rain, right? On my bus ride home. So I take the bus home. I, it takes a while. I have to get back into to Seattle and I get off at the bus stop nearest to my place and I stop and buy two bottles of wine, which at the time was a big deal. I didn't actually drink at all at this age. I didn't, I didn't start drinking till I had children. So I didn't, so I, I walk back to the loft. We were staying in this amazing loft. It was the 40 by, uh, 80 by 40 foot loft in Belltown that we paid $800 a month for in 1995, right? Those were the good old days. And I walk in with two bottles of wine and my, my partner's there and I'm like, he, he's like, he's got two bottles of wine, that's not good. And I hand him the photo. He's like, what's that? I'm like, that's our livelihood, that's our van. And I give him a bottle and I take a bottle and, and we just get, I, I don't remember much after that. And it was pretty, pretty drunk. So, and that's basically the end of the story, but there's just coming back to the, to the circus thing. Um, the next morning, we get a phone call from our friend Anna, and she says, I saw you on the news. <laughs> and I, I didn't know Stephanie was going to be telling a story tonight, and I, I don't think she's here anymore because, um, well, the yeah, local news. So I was on the local news that morning, and my memories of local news from when I was a kid, my parents would watch local news most days, and I remember, you know, if there's something that happened to people, they would get interviewed, and you'd be like, of course this fucking happened to you, you're an idiot. Like, you're such a moron, like, that's why this happened to you. So, this is, and, and now, now that Anna calls, I'm like, oh right, I, I did get interviewed. I wonder what came of that. So this is what came of that. Question number one, what happened? And here's my response. My car. It burned. Right? That's good. Okay, but the reporter wasn't satisfied with that. They wanted more juicy details. So they said, well, well what do you do for a living? Right? So I said, <clears throat> I juggle. <laughs> yeah, that was it. No plug for the circus. No like, hey, come see us at Bumbershoot. No, just, I, I juggle. <laughs> and that is the story of the largest single car fire in Seattle history to a guy that juggles. <laughs> Star, a flaming star over his shoulder. And when a man sees his flaming star, he knows his time. I just was waiting for the car to catch on fire one more time. <laughs> just one more. You all have been amazing. If you want to see the pictures, they will be on uh, Pivot Spokane's Facebook page, I know you're going to go see those pictures. I know you want to see the husk. 
of a van and on Instagram. Also, information for the next pivot will be on Instagram and on Facebook. We want to see your face. We want to hear your stories. Thank you for being so amazing and joining us on the road. Have a good night, Swarkan. You've been listening to a Pivot Storytelling event that was recorded live on September 29th, 2022 at the Washington Cracker Building in downtown Spokane. The five storytellers you've heard tonight are Elissa Ball, Michael Schneider, Stephanie Vigil, Nicholas Franco, and Samuel Schneider. The host has been Jamie Stacy. You can find out more about Pivot, as well as past and future Pivot events, at pivotspokane.com.